Hey guys, this is Jason from Samari Professional Services. We're starting back up our podcast routine and uh, we're going to be pretty regimented with it this year and try and get something out on the regular um, so we can all learn a little something. And something that I've always been interested in and never really delved as deep as I should have was memory analysis. So I asked a couple of uh, uh, what um, John used to work with us over here called Friends of the Show um, to, to come on and talk to me about memory analysis for user investigations. So if you will, I'm going to introduce Aaron Sparling and Ashley Boldig. And if you guys will just kind of give us a little bit of your background and we'll get going. Yeah, sure. So um, I spent about 17 years with the Portland Police Bureau, uh, of which like the last 10, I worked in the digital forensics unit. Um, I'm currently working as a NIFA with uh, the United States Secret Service Network Intrusion Forensic Analyst. Um, that's pretty much me. Yeah, somebody was asking me about you the other day, Aaron, and I, I tried to find uh, that picture of you in the helicopter when you were doing your your sort thing back in the day. Oh and yeah, I, I don't have it anymore. So yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a great photo. Yeah. Yeah, to Aaron's point, he's he's been a, a great supporter of Samari for years, and uh, certainly um, a titan in the world of uh, of digital forensics, and especially around memory analysis. He's the guy I go to with questions. Ashley, how about you? Um, I have been, I currently am with the Mississippi Attorney General's Office for the past five years, but I've been doing digital forensics um, as well for 10 years. Um, I also have a master's in digital forensics, and I do a lot more um, ICAC type cases. And so I use memory analysis for those in, in, awesome. in my work. <laughs> I've thought about going back and, and getting some degrees. I know one of the guys that works with us did a master's through UCD, so I, I may get into that if I ever get some free time. But we'll dive right into uh, memory analysis. And, you know, the, I think the first thing that I always want to know, right, or can you guys give me some examples of, of some cases you've worked where memory analysis was key, right? Why Why is it important? Yeah, I can give you one where it was actually, um, this was my time at PPB. So, I was on vacation and um, you're not supposed to take your work phone with you on vacation. Well, not by policy, just in general, you should be on vacation. Of course, I took my work phone with me and I answered it. And uh, the detectives were going out to do a search warrant on what they said was going to be someone that was kind of tech savvy, whatever that means. And so they asked if I was available. I was like, no, I'm on vacation. So I thought, well, if they're guys tech savvy, um, we need to definitely get RAM. So I walked them through how to download um, Magnet's RAM capture tool because uh, they said they were going to be dealing with Windows-based PCs, they believed, on how to use it. So they went, uh, they called me when they got on site. The computers were up and running. I walked them through the memory collection of a desktop and a laptop computer. And then they went through their whole collection, came back, you know, um, brought the stuff, checked it into the lab a couple of weeks later. And when I went to go do my analysis, uh, the tower, I pulled the hard drives from the tower, ended up having three hard drives in it. It had one SSD and two, um, three and a half inch, you know, traditional spinning hard drives. And I assumed that the SSD was going to have the operating system on it. And it didn't, um, which was weird. It was just ended up being like a storage device. And so the two SS, the two standard three and a half inch drives, where I threw them in the right blocker to just do a quick triage check. They loaded and they were displayed as something other than windows. So typically in my world, that means one of two things. It's either encrypted or it's Linux. And I could tell right away um, that it wasn't Linux because um, it didn't have the proper uh, GPT header for Linux. And then 
it didn't look like any sort of encrypted drive I've ever seen before. Because those typically, over time, you can kind of tell by looking at it in a hex editor if it's encrypted. So I'm like, well, this is weird. So I threw the other one in, the other three and a half inch drive, same thing. I'm kind of racking my brain and I'm like, man, what is going on here? And I'm like, oh, it's a raid. He raided these two drives um, as either like a raid one or a raid zero. So I um, imaged them real quick, not real quick, but imaged them, threw the images into X-Ways, thinking that X-Ways would rebuild the raid. It's notorious for doing a really good job of raid reconstruction. It was having issues rebuilding the raid. So I could not get it to rebuild. And I'm like, man. And just for the sake of speed, nothing of importance was on the laptop or that seemed to be important on the laptop. So I'm like, man, we really got to get access to this drive. And I was like, oh, that's right. You know, because it'd been about a month. I was like, they did memory dumps. So I grabbed the thumb drives that they did the memory dumps on. I was able to um, basically uh, use a a, uh, plugin and volatility called Hashdump, get the NTLM hash of the users, export those out to a document uh, text file. Then I ran bulk extractor with just the word carver turned on for a split word, word list created a unique word list of all the um, unencrypted strings in memory, and then used Hashcat to crack and get the user's login password. So then I just threw the drives back in the tower, uh, all three of them, Power this kind of forced my hand, powered it back up so that it presented me the login screen, had the user's login password, was able to log in because then it reconstituted and rebuilt the RAID up. It ended up being a RAID zero. And then I had to uh, do a live acquisition of it at that time. So had I not got a memory dump, I would not have been able to get the user's credentials to be able to reconstitute that RAID and then get an actual acquisition. So that was a huge win. And actually on the desktop of the computer was the contraband that they were looking for. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, so that kind of leads into the to the next question. You kind of you touched on it a little bit, but but when and how quickly should the RAM be captured? So, when 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 you guys get on scene, what process would you follow in the triage, and and when would that memory analysis happen? I'm going to default to Ashley on this one because Ashley does a lot of on does way more on scene warrant service than I do. Awesome. It really just depends on kind of like. I guess what your case kind of revolves around really. So, you know, what volatile data do you absolutely need in order to make sure that you get the information that you're looking for? And, you know, I've been on scene a few times where I've, the machines were up running, they're live. Um, He's downloading, you know, the contraband that we're looking for at the time. Um, And so, I don't really necessarily, I guess, get RAM right away because then it's going to slow that computer down and we're in the middle of current downloads. But I've also been where, you know, the machine's just live. And so then I might get RAM right away just because nothing important is running. But you also run the risk of which tool you're using and are you going to blue screen because the tool might be using some DLLs that, it, you know, some kernel DLLs that might blue screen the computer. And so then you lose, you know, a lot of good information. So it really just depends on kind of what you're looking for um, on scene and the really the gamble that you're willing to take on what you want to collect um, and how fast. So it, it just depends, I guess, on on the situation of every case. Yeah, that, that's good to know. I'm, I'm kind of one one step past. I'm I'm getting old now, unfortunately, right? And I'm one step past pulling the pulling the cord 
out of the wall on machines. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm always, um, I, I'm always hesitant and, and exactly like you said, right. Do I, do I grab the Ram now um, and, and risk losing it? You know, it's not called volatile memory for, uh, for no good reason. And, uh, and so it's always interesting to see what other people are doing and how you do it. And, and I think from that, what you said, the most important thing for me, right. Is every case is going to be different. You're just going to have to triage based on what's on scene, um, and what's happening. And, and you talked about it a little bit and what tools you're using and techniques, right? So I don't know, you guys want to kind of cover um, now that we kind of know we're going to go on scene and, and it's really important to get this RAM, it may be able to get us into to a volume that's encrypted or rated, um, you know, a month down the road. You guys want to kind of take me through um, what kind of tools or techniques you guys are going to use for, for doing that? For the actual acquisition? For the acquisition. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's numerous tools available. Um, most of them are freely available to the community, which is great. Um, you know, Magnet Magnet has their RAM capture tool. FTK Imager has the ability to collect physical memory. Belkasoft has its RAM capture tool. Um, let's see, what am I submit? There's WinPMIM, which hasn't been supported for quite some time. I think a couple of years now, but it's still out there and available. Those are probably in terms of like the freely available tools. And now these are for Windows, right? So if you're talking about Linux, you're going to probably have to jump over to Microsoft and grab their AVML tool, which is free on GitHub for grabbing Linux. And then you can get into the paid realm where um, a company from Velexity has a tool called Surge Pro, which is, which is the tool that I use. Um, but it's a paid tool. It's not freely available. And it supports all three operating systems for doing memory acquisition. To include yeah. Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're kind of stuck with the, um, you know, it depends on where your budget is. Obviously, with with paper, sure. you get a lot more flexibility like that. But you you gotta love GitHub, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ashley, am I forgetting any? Uh, I don't think so. That those are the the main few that are the easiest to use, especially for um, unex- inexperienced investigators. Um, but just remember, you know that those that have the GUI interface, you know, sometimes you're stomping on um, items and, and what Aaron likes to call smearing the memory image. Um, and so using the smallest tool to get the entire you know, image would be the better option. So, you know, WinPMEM is a c- command line. And so it would have a smaller footprint versus like FTK Imager, um, Magnet RAM Capture. Oh, I think if you're in the ICAC world, OS triage um, put out by the FBI is another free tool that's available. And I believe um, isn't cyber triage's RAM capture free, just not the analysis part possible. I'm not I'm not completely sure about that one, but it might be. Well, that's definitely a ton of tools for people. So we'll, we'll try and get some notes out at the end of the podcast when we release it as well with, with some of those tools you guys recommend. And so, the thing I think that, Jason, I think one of the things that Ashley highlighted that's super important um, is to understand your tool and the footprint that your tool is going to have. So, you know, she, she pinged on user um, friendliness, right? So how, how, how intuitive is the tool, but it yeah. also just that footprint. So, you know, that's, you know, I'm glad that she mentioned that because that's incredibly important that sometimes people don't understand necessarily when they grab a tool, like the footprint it can leave behind. Right. 
and, and those are RAM capture tools, but then there's also one more OS forensics. It, it captures RAM, but it also can do like a live um, kind of analysis at the same time as the, the uh, that's being captured and then do some um, some commands and volatility um, as well right away so that they can pull some of that data out without having to switch computers or switch tools. So OS forensics is another option as well. But again, a GUI base, so you have to make sure that you're understanding the footprint that you're leaving. Sure, and I, I guess it would it would a little bit depend on on what you're looking for, which I guess we'll talk about here in a minute, right? But uh, certainly, if, uh, if there's some kind of ed- exigent type circumstance where where lives are in danger or you're trying to rescue a child, you're maybe not as worried about the footprint as you are if it's a it's, it's a financial kind of thing. Um, but I think documentation probably becomes the key in understanding what you're doing and what footprint you leave. Um, you know, so I think that goes to Aaron's point about knowing your tools so that you can explain why you left the footprints that you did. And um, the user behind the computer, right? And so versus an inexperienced potential investigator that, you know, is following some footsteps or some commands or some steps put forth by Aaron versus somebody like Aaron or myself that are experts in the field have testified as experts in, in digital forensics and, and understand what really is going on. Sure, sure. So what kind of data am I going to see when, when we do that? What kind of stuff can you expect to get when you when you capture that ramp? Oh, anything and everything is what is really the is seems like the the right answer. There's it's almost like what can't you what can't you get, right? So anything and everything that's running on the system is going to traverse through physical memory. So whatever kind of like earlier to what Ashley's point was when she, you know, talking about looking at what was running on the system at the time. Um, you know, all the system processes that are running network connections. Um, she was talking about file downloads, um, browser history. What people don't realize too, is there's a lot of your traditional artifacts that, and again, we're talking about windows systems here. So let's just, we're going to keep this just, just to windows operating system. A lot of your traditional artifacts that people pivot to on the file system, that are their go-tos are going to be in memory. So like registries in memory, the MFTs in memory, the US and journals in memory, event logs are in memory, um, prefetch, shim cache, link files, you know, kernel file objects. So maybe actual attributable files themselves, network um, connectivity, browsing history. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing a ton that Ashley's could fill in, but there's, it's like, what can't you, you know, connected devices, um, the list goes on and on. So, so you're really you're really tying one hand behind your back if you're not capturing RAM when you when you're on scene. Yeah, it can it can it can definitely do that, especially because you know in in my case using it for ITAC related. So I I rely a lot on um, registry to tell me you know what USBs have been connected, what files have been recently opened. And so if you're not capturing RAMs and potentially pulling the plug, like we've been taught in years past, you're, you're potentially missing that good information because it's just, it's not written to the disk yet in the registry on the drive. And so if you pull that plug, you're potentially missing all of that information that might be for the last, you know, 24 hours, especially, or week, but especially if there's a live victim, it's something that's so important to make sure that you have everything to solidify your case, especially when you're working with live victims to make sure right. that you get everything to, to make a very solid case. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, so how does the encryption or, or any kind of other security measures, like what kind of things do you guys look for out there that would impact being able to, to get that RAM and, and bring it back for analysis? Well, there's really, there's, there's nothing in regards to encryption that's going, that I'm aware of that's going to impact it, right? So all your data, because there's an inherent, because the, the nature of physical memory being volatile, right? Yep. There's almost this inherent trust. So therefore, things that are typically encrypted or decrypted or in an unencrypted state in physical memory and RAM. So you actually um, can get the keys to the castle, so to speak. If you, if you, you know, you can get unencrypted passwords, you can get... Right. Um, you know, Bitcoin or, you know, um, you know, uh, cryptocurrency wallet seed recoveries, you can get, um, you know, PGP keys, you can get AES keys, um, Veracrypt, TrueCrypt keys, you know, in an unencrypted state from physical, as well as like I was talking about, like user credentials, right? Um, in memory, the, the trick is going to be in terms of just acquisition is going to be the tool that you're using to collect and then probably the size of the physical memory that you're collecting, right? So the larger the physical memory, the, the greater likelihood that you're going to have, as Ashley put it, schmear, um, which is a true technical term, because as you're imaging, say, 64 gigs of, of memory, um, the MMU, the memory management unit, is going to experience some memory pressure, and it's going to make some little changes as you're moving, which would create some schmear. So, and if you're maybe using a tool that hasn't been updated in a while, um, just because it's one that you had in your toolbox and you're familiar with, it may not be able to really adequately handle those larger memory acquisitions, which is what we're seeing now, right? So gaming desktop PCs are 64 gigs, 128 gigs of RAM. Um, I would say probably the average consumer laptop now is probably pushing 32 gigs for right. the average consumer laptop. So that's really where the issue lies, I think. And if you're if you're doing, you know, going into businesses, you know, I just was speaking with someone the other day, the server he was trying to acquire the RAM on was 256 gigs. And it was just like a medium sized business for his area. So, I mean, you got to make sure that your tools are able to to really do the job in a in especially when handling that amount of data. Right. So, so, I mean, it sounds like from talking to both of you, right. Capturing RAM is not for the faint of heart or, or the folks that are uh, FNGs, I guess, for lack of a better term or first responders that are out there doing things. So, um, so what are some things if, if, if we're analysts and we're not out on scene, what are the kind of things that we want to have those first responders? Because I know, you know, that's something that's become more and more prevalent is, is kind of getting first responders to, to learn how to do things with cell phones, with, you know, laptops, with, with memory and, and that kind of thing. It's just going to, you know, I mean, computer crime is not going to stop. It's just going to get worse, right? It might even be a little bit better right now because Russia and Ukraine are so busy throwing actual bullets at each other. Um, I think maybe when that settles down a little bit, you're going to even see cybercrime ramp up to a higher level than we've ever seen. So so what would be the advice for examiners or analysts out there, I should say, when they're talking to their first responders and what they should do? I definitely recommend first responders trying to get some type of computer uh, training just in general. Um, you know, we're finding these, at least here in Mississippi, these younger guys are coming on and, and they all they really know is how to use their cell phone. 
Um, and, and computers are kind of on their way out with the younger generation. So really just to understand the computer in general, because they can do everything with their tablet or their phone nowadays. Um, and so just taking any of the free training out there, there's so much free training just to learn anything about a computer would be key. Um, but there's also some free, like quick little trainings about, you know, RAM and what it is. And, um, and then the examiner should be the one to have additional dongles available or thumb drives set up so that they can hand it off and say, hey, use this tool, um, go capture that RAM. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, and really be the point to, to also be teaching the new and up and coming first responders out there so that we're all on the same page. Sure. Yeah. Well, that, that you can't stress that enough, right? Like, I mean, that's your, sometimes that's your one and only shot at some of those things. Certainly, um, certainly Ram that, that can be your only shot um, at it. So, so, you know, a whole team environment, I think is definitely something that everyone's going to have to work on talking about that. Right. Um, you know, I guess just to, to wrap up with a couple of things, and we've touched on it briefly, Aaron, and either one of you can answer this, but how does the acquisition of RAM differ, say, between Windows and Mac OS and, and Linux? You know, it, it really it really doesn't necessarily. I mean, it, it does from a very high level or low level, depending on what your what your viewpoint is. But in regards to the actual acquisition, you're, you're essentially using a tool that's loading a kernel level driver that's going to acquire both user land and kernel memory um, and pull it back and write it to your medium, right? That your, your responder driver, whatever. In regards to, you know, there's definitely the process, there's no difference in the process. In the, the um, software development from a, from a software development standpoint, absolutely all three tools are different. But the process is the same, right? And so there's really no no difference necessarily in the process, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. So so yeah, kind of trying to get at the fact that that you know people shouldn't be afraid of RAM on different systems, right? So if you have a tool that can grab RAM, you, you're still going to find a lot of things in there that you may find, like the, to your point, Aaron. There, there's so much stuff that gets stored in plain text there because of that perceived trust issue. Trust issue. You know, that I think it's really, really important that, that people understand, hey, whatever the machine is, you know, especially if time is of essence or, you know, there's a child that's in danger, get everything that you can when you can. Right. And uh, and do what you can to save a life. Um, what did I not ask you guys about memory analysis that I should? I'm, I'm just an old time lumber salesman that found his way into forensics about 10 years ago. So what, what am I not thinking about that people need to know? Probably I would say a resource. Okay. So um, probably the best resource out there in regards to the written word is going to be the art of memory forensics, um, which um, some of the core developers of the volatility project or, you know, the volatility framework um, are the authors of that. That's a great book. It's like, I think you said earlier, faint of heart. It's really not for the faint of heart. It is definitely um, dense in its technical nature, but I think that once you kind of get some of the core concepts, um, all, all the pieces will start to fall into place. The other thing is, is we've talked about acquiring. The next step is going to be the analysis process. And so I want to make sure that your listeners understand that we focused a lot on why, 
why to acquire it, why we want to acquire it and what we can get once we, once we do acquire it, the next stage is analysis. And that's where, you know, I think the, the dark art of memory forensics sort of comes into play because it's a, it's a little more circuitous, right? We can't just throw it into one of our favorite software suites and, and analyze it and process it like we can um, a full file system acquisition of say, a computer or even like um, mobile forensics where it's going to parse it out. You have to, um, there's, there's fewer tools available for doing it and you have to take a little bit more of a creative approach to how you do the actual analysis. So, so a couple of things come to mind there. The, the first thing is what a great name, right? The dark art of memory analysis. So I feel like we have a whole nother podcast right there that we can see if we can all get back together here uh, in the near future and, and, you know, maybe kind of turn this into a, a two part thing so that people sure. can uh, you know listen to this on a lunch hour and still have a little bit of time to throw down a sandwich and do whatever else they need to do. Um, but yeah, I think I would definitely like to get into that and look at that. Um, and I think, like I said, the resource is a great idea. We'll try and throw that at the end of the podcast as well. So people have a, a link to something. And I, you know, I want to stress the thing that, um, you know, and I, in fact, I used it uh, last week with you, Aaron, right? Remember too, that, that phone a friend is always an option, right? So if you know somebody needs something in your area of expertise and they're somewhere else in the country or the world or wherever it is, you know, reach out. Um, I do it all the time. Aaron helped me out with something, some, some folks that needed some help with some work down in his neck of the woods. And uh, I think that's getting taken care of. And so, you know, obviously for those of you on the law enforcement side, um, certainly I think Aaron or, or Ashley would be more than happy to help out um, on the non-law enforcement side or law enforcement, but obviously I can't do too much criminally for you. Um, you know, I'm always here at Smurry. I, I may not know the answers. And, and those of you that know me know that I often don't know an answer to something right away, but I'm an inquisitive person. I always want to know. I always want to find out. And my Rolodex, and yes, there is still such a thing as a Rolodex, is quite large at this point. Um, so I think that's the thing I, I want to end with, and I'll let you guys uh, wrap things up. Is just with these kind of things, when you get into things that are they're a little bit in the weeds that you need a specialist for, um, don't just assume that, you know, don't throw it on the pile of no- nothing of evidentiary value found here. Right. Reach out. There are folks out there like Aaron and Ashley um, that have gone into the dark art of memory analysis and came back out alive um, that can give you a hand with that. So I want to thank both you guys for for coming on the podcast and and feel free to close with any other thoughts you think people need. And uh, we'll get you guys out of here and people back to work. No, thanks for your time and just stay curious, I guess. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jason. And, and just, you know, for your listeners, I mean, it, it takes a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of hands-on, a lot of, I mean, you got to do some of it on your on your own time as well, just to keep learning. And so it's not an easy thing to learn. Um, and so if you just keep on going, hopefully it'll get easier and better for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. When lives are on the line, you got to stay tenacious, right? Absolutely. So, and, uh, you know, that that reminds me, I'll just leave it with a little bit of my music history, which I do love. A lot of people know I'm a semi-professional musician, right? The, I, I still love uh, Tenacious D and the pick of Dex Destiny. So uh, we'll see if we can get some kind of Tenacious D slash uh, Dark Art of Memory Analysis going. And we'll have some links at the end of this with a little bit of information and links to different blogs and 
podcasts and social media stuff for Samari. Thanks, guys, for coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you in the near future. Have a great Thank afternoon. You. Thank you.